Now, there is only one Redeemer in the Bible. There is only one Redeemer of God's people, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And the army that's marching into battle, as they looked to that very standard, they were guided and directed and led into battle. What are we to do? We're to look to our standard. And therefore, Hebrews 12, 2 is compatible, looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Thank you for joining us here on Let the Bible Speak, and I trust the Lord will draw near and bless you today through His own precious Word. In our program, we're going to turn to Isaiah 59, The Urgency of Salvation. And of course, as we lead up to the time of Easter, we want to preach the message of the cross. And we have an article coming up now by Anthony Huxma on the judgment of the church. Now, Judaism, well, was condemned when they condemned the Lord Jesus. Judaism was brought to an end when the Sanhedrin decided on the death of the Son of God. So I trust that you'll stay tuned as we let the Bible speak today, firstly on this article on the judgment of the church. On Wednesday of the same week in which Jesus was crucified, these leaders of the Jews held an informal meeting to consult how they might kill the Lord. At that time, that is, just a day before they actually captured and tried Jesus, they seemed to have been quite convinced that they could do nothing against him, in the way of a legal procedure. Yet they had always hated him, and especially since his reappearance in and about Jerusalem, and the enthusiasm that was caused among the people by the raising of Lazarus. They were incensed against the Savior, and became more and more determined to kill him. So they had met on that last Wednesday afternoon, not in formal session, but rather as a band of conspirators against Jesus' life, for they consulted how best to remove him from their way. Two things had been established by them in that informal gathering. They would try to take Jesus by subtlety and kill him secretly, and they would not make an attempt to murder him on the feast day, for they were afraid of the people's enthusiasm for the Lord. If their plan had succeeded, Jesus would never have been publicly and formally tried and condemned and crucified. It's in this scheme that Judas, who that same day appeared before them to offer his evil services, had his proper place, and no doubt he left them under strict orders, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. However, God's purpose was different. Jesus must be publicly tried and condemned and all the plans of the Jewish council were completely frustrated. One of the main factors in the frustration of their plans was, no doubt, the dismissal of the traitor from the upper room, where Jesus had prepared to eat the last Passover with his disciples. Judas also had taken his place among the disciples that night, although the traitor's reward was already in his pocket. No intention he had to deliver Jesus into his hands of his enemies that night, for his orders were, not on the feast day, but the Lord had revealed in that upper room that he was fully acquainted with Judas' evil purpose, 
and had sent him out in the night to accomplish it quickly. The result was that when the traitor reported his experience to the leaders of the Jews that same night, these realized that now they would be compelled to follow the way of legal procedure, and that for such procedure they were not at all prepared. And so they obtain a band of soldiers from the captain of the guard and proceed to Gethsemane, armed with swords and staves to take Jesus captive. And thereupon followed Jesus' trial and condemnation by the Jewish council, which belonged to the condemnation of the world, the judgment of the false church. To understand how this was accomplished, we must again call attention to the fact that the false church was well represented at this time, and the Jews were well qualified to give an answer for the carnal church of all ages to the question, What think ye of Christ? First of all, the Sanhedrin was an august body. It was the highest Jewish tribunal. There were indeed smaller Sanhedrins in every town with a certain number of Jewish inhabitants, but the supreme court was the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. It consisted of 71 members, the high priest always presiding over its sessions. It was a self-perpetuating body, for it appointed its own members. At an earlier date, this supreme council of the Jews appears to have had power to try and settle all kinds of cases, both political and ecclesiastical. But its power had been considerably curtailed by the Romans. Capital offenses it had no longer authority to try, and capital punishment it could no longer inflict. However, that may be, the Sanhedrin was a very able representation of the Jews of that time. It consisted of the very ablest men of the nation, the high priest and the chief priest, the elders and scribes, Pharisees and the Sadducees, men that were versed in theological questions and that knew the law, and they certainly were well qualified to give an answer to the question, What think ye of Christ? For they had been in direct contact with Jesus of Nazareth. Often they had sent delegations to watch him, Besides, Jesus had taught openly in the synagogues and in the temple, and they had been eyewitnesses of many of his wonderful works. Well, were they able to represent the church of man in giving answer to the question, What shall we do with Jesus, the Son of the living God? In the second place, let us notice three outstanding results of this trial of the Savior by the Jewish court. The entire trial very strongly sets forth both the evil design of the judges and the innocence of Jesus of Nazareth. The whole trial culminates in the question of the high priest, whether Jesus be the Christ, the Son of God, and the Lord's affirmative answer. And when they condemn Jesus to death on the basis of his testimony that he is the Christ, they have, in spite of themselves, given a plain answer to the question, What will you do with the Christ of God? The court judged and found guilty. The false church is forever condemned. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak, and that was an excerpt from When I Survey the Wondrous Cross by Anthony Huxma. It is a great account of the events leading up to the death of the Lord Jesus. Stay tuned now as we move to the pulpit ministry of our church at the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, when we let the Bible speak on Isaiah 59 
and verse 19, the urgency of salvation. As I thought about a communion service, I woke up one morning with this text in my mind, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's Hebrews 12.2. And then later that day, as I was praying, another verse came to my mind. The text before us today, Isaiah 59.19. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. So we have two verses, two texts. And then as I looked at them more and more, I discovered really they are virtually the same emphasis. When the enemy comes in like a flood, maybe you've been watching those poor people who are struggling at this time against the rising tide of waters and floods in the Midwest. How helpless people are when a flood comes along. It just keeps rising and rising, and there you are, looking at this disaster unfolding before your eyes. What can be done? And many people try different things, of course. They try putting up berms and sandbags, and they run the pumps, and yet the water just keeps rising and rising until the point where there's no point anymore. You, you can't hold it back any more. Isaiah takes that language and he talks about the despair of God's people, Judah, back in his day. And they saw the enemy, the tide of evil, come up and up and up and up, and all that they sought to do to withstand it was pointless. And they came to the place where they just threw up their hands but Isaiah had a word from the Lord. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against it. Well, here is the Lord's answer to the enemies of his church. What God said to Judah, he says to his church, to his own people. And what a description of the, the enemy's work. It's unmanageable. It's persistent. It is powerful. And what are we to withstand that awful force of evil. But God has promised that he will lift up a standard against it. He'll stop the trend. He'll deliver us from the rising tide of sin and iniquity and temptation and the devil's work and the world and all its forces against the Christian and against the church. And so this text gives us great hope that while we witness and fear these things, that God is yet in control. Now, you can take this in a number of ways, of course. This is a word for your heart that you can take a number of ways. You can apply it to your own life, in your own home. And there are things that are overwhelming, things that you just don't know how you're ever going to resist. There are some, and I, I, I fear not a few, who are greatly overwhelmed by the powers of sin. Sin within, sins, temptations, and allurements, and its awful ravages, that no matter what the Bible teaching and the moral emphasis that people give on what is right and what is wrong, and in this passage of Isaiah talks about truth falling in the streets, and that's the age, certainly, in which we live. 
But in the midst, God promises a standard. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against it. Now, a standard was an ensign that was used by a marching army going into battle, representing its empire or its nation. And they would have a pole with a, an insignia, a banner uh, that would identify the glory, the might of the nation, the empire that they were going into battle for. The church of the Lord Jesus is described like going into battle in a foreign world, a world of sin and iniquity, a world of all the powers of evil around us. And this standard is Christ. This standard is Christ. I want you to notice that in the next verse, and when it mentions the standard, verse 20 mentions, and the Redeemer. Now, there is only one Redeemer in the Bible. There is only one Redeemer of God's people, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And the army that's marching into battle, as they looked to that very standard, they were guided and directed and led into battle. What are we to do? We're to look to our standard. And therefore, Hebrews 12, 2 is compatible, looking on to Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. Now this Isaiah 59 is a great display of the Redeemer's victorious victory over sin and evil. If you want to read a very deep source of depravity, read the earlier verses of this chapter. It can be somewhat depressing. And if you read verse 15, you'll notice it says, Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. That could be the new convert, the person who has said, I'm done. I'm over with this old life. I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to do the right. And immediately that person's targeted. And there are those times when Satan seems to just train his guns on a certain person or a certain church, and he just batters and batters and batters away until there's a prey. It's like a person just being taken down. And how then we need our Redeemer uh, to come in grace. At the end of verse 15, you'll see the Lord saw it. And the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no judgment. No judgment. Verse 16, there was no man, no intercessor. Therefore, his arm, his arm. When we are at our last extremity and are absolutely undone and hopeless, then the Lord intervenes with his arm. That's the story. That's the testimony of every Christian. When we came to the end of ourselves, when we came to the state of absolute hopelessness. The enemy had us down and defeated. Then the Lord came to deliver. When the enemy comes in like a flood, he promises to raise up a standard against him. Now this flood, you will read of it in the book of Revelation. It is the flood that is out to destroy the woman or the church. Let me just read you a couple of verses in Revelation 12. The serpent cast out his mouth, water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away with the flood. You see, Satan has always been seeking to destroy the church. 
And this church is always under attack. Old Testament, New Testament, every century, every generation, Satan's desire is to destroy the church. But we're told here that this standard will not fail. Our Lord will drive the flood back better than any sandbags, better than any uh, pumps, whether they're run by generators or gas engines, whatever, better than anything to stem the tide of iniquity is our Redeemer. And Christian, that's what you need. That's what every man or woman needs that wants to flee from sin, who wants to live aright and do for God what they need to do. You need that Redeemer. You need that standard. So the sermon today is rallying around the standard of Christ for our souls. Rallying around the standard. I want you to get the picture of the soldiers following the ensign, the banner, this standard into battle. And every soldier that is amongst that army, he keeps his eyes upon that standard. What are you to do as a Christian? Look unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. That's why God has designed this communion table, that we continue to look unto Jesus. These emblems, bread and the cup, are ordained of God to keep our eyes upon our Lord Jesus. They remind us of the man of Calvary, the Redeemer of our souls. And this is our standard now. As Christians, as those who have fled from sin and are seeking refuge and help in the very name of the Lord. Let me get to the message here. Firstly, Christ is the standard of our faith. I've gone ahead of myself a little bit and talked a lot about this army, this uh, military looking to the standard. But how important you see, the soldier that starts looking at the terrain and the geography and the, the other w routes that he might take, he ends up losing out, out of sync with the army, out of sync with his leader. And how easy it is for every one of us to lose sight of the way of our salvation. Now, we need faith in Christ as the author and finisher of our faith. That's Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And of course, our Lord Jesus has, is a complete Savior, a complete Redeemer. He is the architect who designs it, and he is the builder who hands over the keys and gives you the building. He's the author and the finisher. And this plan of redemption, salvation, this a way of grace that leads us into glory. Our Lord Jesus begins it and he completes it totally for us. That's why we're to get our eyes on him. We'll keep our eyes on him continually and totally, for he is the author of it. We need faith in Christ's work that it was done on the cross. Hebrews 12, 2 says, endured the cross. He endured the cross. And of course, you can't have a Redeemer. You can't have a Savior. You can't have one who delivers us from sin 
without his work on that cross. He did the work on that cruel tree at Calvary. I think we looked at Easter season quite a bit of our Savior's accomplishments on that cross. But this table brings us back to that very, very thing. Christ was our sacrifice. He suffered and he got the victory for his people. He accomplished all that was required for his people. And so we're to stop what we're doing. We're to cease from everything else and rest. Looking unto Jesus is to rest. It's to cease all our attempts and rest in the accomplishment of our Lord Jesus. We also need faith in our Lord's joy. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This is not a funeral service today. This is not for the Christian's mourning. Unless, of course, you're not a Christian and you're mourning over your sin and you're not even saved. Yes, then this will, this will show you the, the urgent great need in your heart and life. The joy that was set before him, of course, is the joy of bringing his children into glory, presenting us to the Father, spotless, without wrinkle, a beautiful bride. What joy is in the heart of the Lord, even as he went to the cross. And so we put our faith in the sense and the note of victory and triumph that our Lord accomplished on that cross. We need faith in Christ's triumph. He's now at the right hand of the Father. He's set down at the right hand of God. There's nothing left hanging in the balance here. When our Lord Jesus sat down, it means the work's done. That's how it is. You don't sit down until the work's done. Ladies in the kitchen, whatever you're doing, you, you, you can't just abandon it and go sit down. And you, you can't have a contented feeling knowing the task is not accomplished. You finish the work, then you rest. That's what our Lord Jesus did. He finished the work. He accomplished it all and was then ascended to his Father to sit down. And there is the focus of our faith. This is all accomplished. We're talking here about accomplished redemption. That is now our benefit, our blessing. And we're receiving gifts by grace, by faith. And we're taking them as the finished work of our blessed Lord Jesus. And so this is the gospel. You're called to rally around this banner, this standard. And that's how you, firstly, you're saved, and that's how you keep your strength, your focus, your whole attention is on the finished work, the accomplishments of the Lord Jesus. So he is the focus of our faith. He's also the standard for our fight. This is a battle now. When the enemy comes in like a flood, how do we handle this? We face an awful enemy, a vicious enemy, and a constant enemy. And there's a battle going on for our souls and for truth and for the honor of our Savior's name. And he comes in like a flood. 
Sometimes we say that troubles come in three. You know, why does the washing machine break down on the same day that the garage door breaks down and you happen to bump into the neighbor down the street? Trouble comes in threes. And when you're a Christian, Satan attacks in many, many different ways. And it's then we need to look and lift up the standard of our Lord and know his help and his victory. We need to take the cross of Christ to fight against the flood of errors. We're living in an age of, of awful religious confusion. The internet is a, is a source of the, of the lies of the devil abundant. And we need to take that cross to fight against these errors, the errors of humanism. Humanism is, I did it my way. That's contrary to the Christian peace of the work of the cross. Christ did it for me. That's, that's Christian. That's the gospel. We get rid of self and how big we are and how good we are and how better we are. We get rid of all this self-thinking and we abase ourselves. I am a rotten, hell-deserving sinner, but Christ did the work for me to lift me up and to deliver me. We also face the enemy of easy believism, which really is easy denial. Easy believism says, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe that God made the world in six days. That's called in some circles easy believism. It's really easy denial. It would be easy to say, I can, I believe that God is good. But he would never send a sinner to hell for all eternity. That's easy denial. When you go to the cross, you get your answer. God hates sin. God hates sin with a holy hatred and eternal hatred. And God punished his son, an eternal person, to draw his blood to make an eternal offering. That was required. And what does a man who dies in his sin, why is he in hell for all eternity? Because his sin demands justice. And that justice is infinite and eternal. And my friend, if you're not under the blood of Jesus, if you are not looking to that standard, what an awful eternity awaits your soul. Well, we end our message there now, but that's not the end of the invitation. We do invite you to believe and accept the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you may be saved. And if I can be of any personal help, feel free to call me or be in touch through our website and our email. The announcements are coming up, and I trust the Lord will draw near to you, bless you richly, and give you saving faith in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. Stay tuned now for these final announcements. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 187 Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. There you can find a link to our Sunday services that are broadcast online. For all this information, please go to our website at 
cloverdealfpc.ca. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of his precious word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer at 7.30pm every Wednesday evening. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day from September to June at 9.30am. You can contact us using our office number which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today and be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5am and 5pm and on Sundays at 9.30am on this station for our full or church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.